watch those acres of graves, men and women that have given their lives in service of our country, it humbles me. And we, Memorial Day is not a celebration, Memorial Day is a remembrance. Veterans Day, we give, express our gratitude towards the men and women that are serving our nation. But today, this weekend, we remember those that have given their lives in the service of the nation. And though we can't specifically remember them today, I would like to honor those of you that may be here that have lost families, lost loved ones in, uh, in our nation's military or even in our nation's law enforcement. Would you stand to your feet and we'd just like to say thank you for your family's sacrifice. If you have lost loved ones, come on, give them a big hand today. Come on, give them a big hand say thank you for the sacrifice that your family made in giving for the life of our nation. Amen. God bless you, sir. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to have a word of prayer as we open the, prepare to open the Bible. We're thrilled you're with us today. We're going to have big fun after church today. Hope you're going to stay with us, have a barbecue, hang out, and have fun. But uh, right now, we have a privilege to open the Bible. You know, the Bible is the most uh, popular book in the history of the world. More copies of it are sold, more electronic copies are produced than any other book in the history of the world. And there's a reason for that, because it is literally the Word of God. And it is God's way of speaking to us today, not just through an ancient book that was written several thousand years ago, but a book that somehow resonates to the hearts and minds of people today. So let's pray just a moment. Lord, here on Memorial Day, we want to pray for our nation. We want to say thank you that we are a free nation. There have been many junctures in our nation's history where we could have easily ceased to exist in world wars that were won, in battles that were fought, a civil war, even our own revolutionary war. But yet somehow you've kept your hand on this nation and have produced a nation with this, the greatest bastion of freedom in the world, the nation that has done more to do more acts of benevolence and kindness and spreading the gospel than any nation of the world. We are not a perfect people, but we are a blessed people. And we would humbly ask today, God, that our nation would be free from the violence of wars and acts of terrorism. We bow our head before you today and say, great is the Lord. Because the Bible said, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we humbly join with millions today and say, Lord, we welcome you. And it is in God we trust. And we are indeed one nation under God. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, tell your neighbor, you're looking good this morning. Now, I hope you didn't tell a lie just then, but it's okay. In church every once in a while. Hey, we've been doing a series called Building Blocks. Building Blocks. Building Blocks. Let me ask you a question. Set this up today. Why are you here? Why are you here this morning? And I ask that question not in the context of why I'm at a church service. I wanted to come to church before the car show. I wanted to remember Memorial Day. But the purpose of your life. Why are you alive is your existence an accident? Is your existence the, you know, just kind of the result of, of haphazard uh, evolutionary forces? Or is there a purpose behind your life? And that is where I'm headed this morning. We've been doing a series called Building Blocks. And I won't go into great detail. You can see these blocks on the stage if they can focus in on us. We talk one week about the purpose and the necessity of the resurrection. And then our belief in Christ for the salvation of our soul we talked about our relationship with God. We talked about the Bible, the need to, to, to have a conviction that the words of the Bible will guide my life. Last week we talked about eternity. And we, we saw a difference between time and the temporary nature of life and the eternal. Well, this morning we're going to talk about purpose. 
And if you don't have our app, you might download it. It's free. Search Church on the Rock, Texarkana. You can listen to these older messages. You can watch our live stream at any time. But it's this block that I want to talk about today. And these blocks are forming a building, much like if you were to build a house, if you were to construct any type of industrial building, the first thing they do is not order the doors and windows and pick the paint. The first thing they do is they build a foundation. They go deeply in the ground, they put in concrete, they put steel, and it is that which holds that building in the storms of life. Well, this fifth building block has to do with our purpose. And this building block basically says this, that I will fulfill God's plan for my life. God has a purpose for you and God has a purpose for me. Our life is not an accident. Our life is not a series of, of lucky experiences or good luck. But yet there is a design behind our life that the designer has put in place. And this morning I want to help you understand God's plan for your life. I want to help you come to grips with, first of all, that God does have a plan. That God does have a purpose for you. That you were created by God on purpose with a purpose. I want to remind you that what God has entrusted to you, your, whether it's your resources, your abilities, your passions, your wealth, one day we'll answer to God for what God has given us. And the most important part of the message, I think, is the part which will help you the most, and it's how to find God's plan for my life, how to find God's purpose. And when I'm talking about God's plan and purpose, I'm not talking so much about one singular event of your life, but if your life could be imagined as a book, in each day of that book, you live a page of that book, whether it's 40 years, 50, 60, 100 years, but at some point your life is over, and the goal or ambition of our life should be to build a life where each day I live according to God's plan. It has mountaintop experiences and daily experiences, but together it will set me up for eternity where the Lord himself will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. My text this morning is Psalm 139. It is the reason I believe in life should be protected in the womb because God ascribes his own creative hand to this process. The psalmist says, I praise you, God, because you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. The Bible says, you, God, saw my bones being formed as I took shape in my mother's body. If you were to have an ultrasound, if you're pregnant, you can see that little baby that's there, and you have a glimpse of what's going on inside. Well, God says, I too see what's going on in the life of the womb. But verse 15, he says this, uh, you saw my bones being formed as I took shape. And I want you to say this next part with me. All the days planned for me. That means we say it out loud, okay? All the days planned for me were written in your book before I was one day old. Now leave that on the screen and pause just a moment because that is either true or it's false. If it is indeed true as the Bible depicts of itself, as I believe this is the Word of God and hopefully you believe it's God's Word, God is saying that I designed your life. And this idea that God wrote your life and the plans of your life in a book doesn't imply that it's a robotic plan and you have no choice. I mean, you know, we get to choose whether we walk in God's plan or not. But it is God's preferred plan for your life. It is, the, it is the singular best way that you can find happiness and the purpose for which you were created. If you will endeavor each day to follow God's plan for your life. And if somehow a day gets messed up or a chapter gets lost, that we re-engage in the plan of that book. This is a singular place for happiness. It is my building block number five. I will fulfill God's purpose for my life. 
Now, let me take just a little bit longer and underscore this idea that you are created for a purpose. Um, God made us unique, and He made us unique to fulfill a specific plan. If you would examine human DNA, we're all similar, but we're all different. The reason fingerprints or an iris scan is so vital to those in security and law enforcement is because we're all different. And though we may be alike in many fashions, our, our, our gender may be the same, our race may be the same, but yet we're different and unique because we're created by God. And I want to tell you, friends, even if, you're, if, you, even if you came into this world in a troubled way or had bad experiences, that doesn't undo the plan of God. Somehow, for example, if you if you're, were brought into this world through rape, that your mother was raped by someone and uh, it was not a good experience, do you know that God could even take that experience and somehow turn it into good? It doesn't mean that God caused the rape, but just like in the book of Genesis, you remember when, when Joseph uh, was the one who basically rescued the world, but his brothers threw him in a pit, sold him to Egypt, left him for dead, and when Joseph saw them a decade later, he said, what you intended for evil, God turned around for good. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good. And God can take circumstances in our life that it's almost like our life explodes or it starts out wrong because society wants to make us believe we're a victim. If I was just born another way, if I was born on this side of the, of the railroad tracks, if my skin color was this, if, if my gender was that, if I, if I was this age, then I would be normal and good. Not true, friends. You're created in the image of God. You're created with purpose. And not only has God given you a unique DNA, but he's given you gifts and abilities that are unique to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Uh, the Bible says that it is the one and only Spirit, the Holy Spirit, who distributes these gifts. And specifically, we're talking about the nine gifts of the Spirit there. Then it says, He alone decides which gift each... See, when I do this, I want you to talk back to me. Each person should have. Punch your neighbor and say, you're in each person. God decides which gifts you and I have. We're told to desire gifts, but ultimately God is the giver. The human body has many parts. So it is with the body of Christ. Listen to verse 18. God has put each part just where He wants it. Don't you think about that? The concept of, of who I am, my identity, my contribution to the world, the uniqueness of my gifts. Listen, don't diminish what God has done in you. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just be the best you you can be. Because God not only wrote a plan and a book for your life, He gave you certain attributes and certain abilities you see, we look in the mirror and we see what we're not rather than seeing what we are, come on, by a deliberate heavenly Father. And, and, and the world constantly compare, makes us compare ourselves to other people. Listen, I just want to be the best me I can be. Now, let me say this too about our uniqueness. God's purpose or plan for our life is not just for us. It is bigger than us. My resources, my gifts, my abilities, that which God has given to me is not just so I can have, be, and do more. It is for my contribution to the world. It is so I can help people, so I can advance the kingdom of God. Let me read a passage from our Bible reading. By the way, that's on the app too. You can follow along and read with us every day. But 2 Samuel chapter 5 about King David. David now has been established as the king. He was the greatest king that was in Israel's history He's the one that everybody looks back to and say, boy, I wish times were like that again. But notice what it says. This shepherd boy has become king. And the Bible said David knew that the Lord had established him 
had king over Israel. And notice this phrase, that God has exalted his kingdom. What's it say? For the sake of his people. In other words, God gave this man power. He gave him resources. He gave him wealth. He gave him the ability. He gave him position. But it was not just for him. It was for other people. And this is what I want you to see about God's plan for your life. God's plan for our lives is not, is not just a, a path to hedonism. It's not just a path for the accumulation of things and experiences and pleasure. Uh, those things are, are, are important, but they're secondary. They're not primary. The primary is God's plan or purpose, how my life might be a blessing to the world. Where would the world be were it not for the faith of George Washington and the founding of our nation? Where would America be were it not for the faith of Abraham Lincoln? Presidents have, have, have taken their oath of office over his Bible. You know, where, where would the world be were it not for the Mother Teresas of this world? Where would America be in her history were it not for great men like Billy Graham? Where would it be for uh, the world be were it not for the, the, the people like uh, uh, Mr. Wilberforce in England's past involved in the abolition of slavery? I mean, you know, the world is filled with people, ordinary people just like you and I, that are used by God to do something great. And this greatness is not just in a singular event, but it's an accumulation. What's happens the days of my life and the pages of my book. Let me, let me pause just a moment before we get into how you find God's plan and purpose. And let me remind you that one day you and I will answer to God for what we did with our life. And the Bible is very clear. We don't have multiple lives. We're not going to be reincarnated. We don't get a second chance at this. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We've got one shot at this thing called life on earth. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. Um, only people before, born before 1900 will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Only men will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. No, what's it say? All of us will appear before the judgment seat of Christ... Scholars tell us that this is not the great white throne judgment of Revelation 21, but it's what's called the Bema Seat of Christ. It is a judgment of our works, that, of our resources, what we have done with what God called us to do. Did I fulfill the plan that God had for my life, or did I, uh, did I allow chapters to go un, uh, unread and, and unlived? We'll appear before this judgment seat, not for heaven or hell, but to receive what is due us for what we've done in our body, whether it's good or bad. This has to do with our works, the things that we did for Christ. Romans 14 reminds us in the same way, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And how many know Jesus promised reward for faithful service? Jesus said, listen, when you pray, don't do it where everybody can see you. Pray in silent or in, uh, in secret. When you pray in secret, the Father will reward you. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, what did he say? He said, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Let your giving be in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will do what? Reward you. I'm telling you, friends, there's a reward coming. And just like those kids, listen, I, I, I love to read the newspaper, the sports page this time of year. I watch ball teams going for the state championship. And I see these kids giving their all. Some of them since kindergarten have been playing ball and now they're throwing a no-hitter or whatever the case is or they're the winning touchdown and it's like their whole life has been lived for a trophy. Well, shouldn't we as Christians live for a bigger trophy? Listen, I've got, I've got two boxes of trophies. The only problem is that I accumulated in high school. I don't know where they are anymore. Now listen, I'm sure you knew that I was the punt, pass, and kick competition of Hernando, Mississippi, the winner, uh, when I was 12 years old. I mean, I'm sure you knew that. 
I mean, I'm sure you knew that I went to the regional finals in Memphis, Tennessee, and I won the championship. I'm, I'm sure you know these things. The only problem, it's temporary, and I can't find the trophy. But this is a trophy that lasts. Revelation 22, verse 12, Jesus said this. Jesus said, look, I am coming Thank you. I smell the barbecue. I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And what did Jesus say? This is the last chapter of the Bible. I'm going to give to each person according to what they have done. Again, you're not earning your way into heaven, but when you live for Christ, when you fulfill His purpose, God says one day you're going to be rewarded in a way that's going to blow your mind. Listen, this is what we're living for. Uh, the parable of the talent. I don't have time to get into it real uh, in depth today, but let me remind you, Matthew 25, Jesus told a story in the whole chapter. Parables are stories of what it's going to be like in the future kingdom of God. And Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Jesus said a man went on a journey, and as he went on his journey for a long time, he entrusted to his servants he entrusted them uh, uh, monies, one of them five, five uh, uh, bags of silver, one two and one one. Now a parable is a, is a story of what's going on in the natural to illustrate the, the spiritual world. And the man on this long journey was Jesus. It's now he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. One day he's coming back. And in this parable he tells us, I'm going to ask people what they did with what I gave them. And the money represents more than just material things. It's our gift, our talents, our abilities. And if you read this passage, you would see there was a man that, that, that took those five bags of money. He invested it and made five more. And you know what the master said? The master said, well done. Say it with me. Good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You have been faithful with a little. I'm going to give you many responsibilities. And that's the gist of that parable. Now listen, the same thing happened to the man with two bags of money or two talents. And aren't you glad God doesn't compare us to one another? But the only person I have to do better than is not you, but it's me. Listen, it's fun to compete on the ball field, but in the game of life, I'm not competing against you. I just want to be the best me that I can be because one day I want to hear Jesus say, well done, huh? Now, let me take the last few minutes and talk to you about how we can figure out God's plan for our life. And let me tell you this, it's not hard. And I want you to see, there's half a dozen things here I'll, I'll touch on briefly. But I want you to see this is not hard to do. And it's not just the mountaintop experience. It's not just, just not like Moses going into Egypt to Pharaoh, let my people go. This is the everyday things that you and I do for the Lord Jesus Christ, for him and because of him, it falls into this plan. And here's the first one. How I figure out God's plan, follow the instruction by, uh, manual. Follow the instruction manual, which is the Bible. And I want to illustrate it this way. Let's say God's called you to be a business person. And whatever your business is, uh, you're going to do it. And you say, you know what, I'm going to try to be a Christian businesswoman, a Christian businessman. And, and so how do I do that? How do I live out this purpose and plan? Well, how about scriptures like this? Proverbs 28 says it's better to be poor and honest than dishonest and rich. Which means you have a core value of your business that even if it costs me some money, I'm going to do the job right. Come on, because I'm more concerned about my reputation than I am about how much money's in the bank. I'm more concerned about the platform of my witness for Christ. 
How about Proverbs 13? It says, lazy people want a lot, but they get little. But those who work hard will prosper. So I will work hard in the people that work with me. Proverbs 15 says, plans go wrong for lack of advice, but many advisors bring success. In other words, I'm not going to be someone that's arrogant and never asks for help and opinions, but I'm going to build my life according to the Bible. I'm going to build my business according to the plan. I'll build it by the golden rule, Matthew 7, 12, do to others whatever you'd like for them to do to you. And I'll tell you this, friends, listen, if you're here today and you spend 40, 50, 60 hours of your life every week in work, doesn't it make sense that that's our primary mission field? Doesn't it make sense that that's where we need to be uh, uh, living out God's plan? And how better to do it than conducting whether it's our business, our marriage, our school life by the book? Now, here, let me give you another one. Uh, number two, if you want to find God's plan, if you want to stay in His purposes, keep turning the pages of your life, act on what God reveals to you. Let me tell you an example of what this means. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18 Paul writing to Timothy and said, here's my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you. Now, prophetic word is not a prediction of the future as much as it is an encouraging word from God, something from the Holy Spirit that gives you some level of direction direction and help. He said, these words will help you fight well in the Lord's battles. 1 Timothy 4 says, don't neglect the spiritual gift you received through what? prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Now listen, let's not do two things. Let's not get super spiritual (laughs) to the degree that we have to wait for God to tell us what grocery store to go in and what parking place to take. But also, let's, let's not ignore the fact that God is a speaking God and that God wants to direct our life. And when these snippets of revelation come to us, they could come in many ways. They could come through a person. Maybe some spiritually minded person is praying for you and just said, you know what, my heart is really burdened. I feel like that what you're about to do is going to be a mistake. And I'm not telling you what to do. You've got to pray about it. But I want to encourage you, listen, I just feel like this might not be the right thing to do. How I many know if you bear witness that that's the Lord, you need to obey that voice. 26 years ago, I, I was pastoring in Palestine, Texas. I knew this church needed a pastor. I wasn't looking for a place to go, but I obeyed my spiritual leader, and I came here to preach. And as I was driving down Highway 155 from Tyler, uh, I think on this side of Linden, but uh, 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 coming across the second bridge, and I saw cypress trees, and it was just like it was yesterday, and the Holy Spirit told me to go and take that church. I didn't ask about a salary. I didn't say, let me see a financial statement, how many people go. I didn't even know if they had a Sunday night service. All I knew is God said, I want you to go. See, God speaks to us. Three years ago, the Lord spoke to me. He said, we need to start raising money to expand the, 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 the property. Well, we've almost got a million dollars. Praise the Lord. We're hoping to be able to break ground August or September. But when you hear these little snippets of life. My wife, we were, uh, years ago, uh, we were living in Wake Village. And I, the older I get, I kind of returning to my roots. I was raised in the country and uh, I wanted to get out of Wake Village and just get a little breathing room. And one of our elders in our Sunday morning prayer said, I had, a, I, I had a, a dream about you last night. I felt the Lord showed me that you were living by some woods and a creek. And I looked at my wife and I said, did you talk to him? No. Did you? No. And then we found a house that was like that. All I'm saying is if you want to walk in God's plan, in that little house you say, well, aren't you blessed? Well, I am blessed, but maybe it's not for me that I live there, 
Maybe it's for the people that I've led to Christ on my street. Maybe it's for the people whose life I've influenced. Come on. Not just for me. Remember when David was anointed to be king? God did that for him, not just to bless him, but so his life could be a blessing. Come on, give the Lord a a good hand. Let me give you a couple more real practical before we go eat barbecue. Uh, Do what crumbs across your pathway. Now, this is very simple. Meet needs as you go. Sometimes we over-spiritualize our Christian life. But look at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John go to the temple, and they went to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. Uh, They didn't have any other intentions. But notice verse 2. A man lame from birth was being carried in, and he saw Peter and John, and he asked for some money. And Peter said, well, I don't have any silver or gold, but what does he say? I'll give you what I have. I'll give you what I have. And Peter didn't need a Ph.D., Peter didn't need to have, you know, so much experience that sometimes we feel qualifies. He said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Now, Peter had the gift of healing. It was a miracle that was done. But what he did is he wasn't expecting it to happen. And when it crossed his path, he just said yes to it. It was an unplanned opportunity. It was an open door. And I want to encourage you as you're trying to find your path and purpose in God, don't just wait for the thundering voice. Yay, yay, Moses, over here. Don't wait for that. How many, does your Bible in Matthew 28 already say Jesus said, go into all the world? Doesn't your Bible say that we're to preach the gospel, that we're to share our faith, that we're to give, that we're to serve? Well, how about if we just go until God says stop, rather than stop and wait for the thundering voice until we go? How many people, when you're driving, automatically stop at green lights? Let me see your hand here. There's got to be one or two. We have about three or four people. little OCD there, I think. But we've got about four of us. Most people don't because most people in the car, when they see that light and it's green, they mash their foot on the gas pedal just a little further. I want to encourage you, live your life that way for God. When things come across your pathway, I'll give an example. Um, my, my, my cousin, uh, Judy, a uh, Wendy, died uh, unexpectedly. And she had become a wealthy person. She was a pharmacist. God blessed her life. She was a dedicated Christian. And my brother said one of the things they learned about her in the funeral was that at Christmas time, she would go to the local Walmart, and with no fanfare, she would just pay off all the layaways at Walmart. Now, isn't that a cool thing? Now, I don't know this for sure, but I can imagine that she probably went in there, and I would imagine the Lord spoke to her, probably with compassion, behind someone, maybe it was a mom with a couple kids, and she wanted the dolly and couldn't have it, and this was on layaway. I imagine the Holy Spirit said, I've given you a lot. Enjoy what I've given you, but I want you to take some of it and be a blessing to other people. See, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about meeting opportunities that come our way. I heard you clap when the video uh, earlier in the service said that all the kids had been sponsored for camp. Well, that wasn't planned. You didn't come to church planning to do that. But many people bought something in the bake sale. Many others just gave money to sponsor a kid. You may not even know who the kid is, but that kid could have an encounter, come on in the church camp, that could change the rest of their life. So this is what I'm talking about. And listen, moms, if you're raising a child, don't ever minimize the power and the potential of what you're doing for the kingdom of God. You may look and say, well, I wish I was like so-and-so. They get to go on mission trips or do that. All I get to do is raise my kids. Aren't you glad Timothy had a mom named, or mom and grandma, grandmother named Lois and Eunice? 
who taught him the faith as a child, who was able to take the baton when Paul the Apostle gave it away. See, don't ever minimize your role. Don't ever think yourself inferior or unqualified. Let me, let me keep going here before time gets away. My job or my campus is my primary sphere of influence. And this is the mistake we make. We separate the spiritual from the secular. We say, well, if I want to serve the Lord, i got to teach a Sunday school class. Or if I want to serve the Lord, i got to help with the barbecue. But for the rest 50 hours of the week, if you take commute time, work time, if you take thinking time, home time, the next 40, 50, 60 hours, I, I, I've got to just work and make a living. I'm in the world. I want to give you an entirely different outlook. I want to do it through a member of our church. His, his name's Keith Pace. Take a peek at a little video. He's a, he's a business owner in town. Hello, my name is Keith Pace, and I'm a member of Church on the Rock. For about Me and my wife have been a member about three or four years now. And uh, I just wanted to come and talk to you today about my my job and what we do not really my job but what we do at work when I became a Christian it kind of changed and I, I go to work every day because I love what I do and now I love it even more because we just try to lead someone to the Lord and uh, you know we try to be a light in our employees and our customers I, you know life and I don't go to work thinking about making a dollar I go to work thinking of how I can make someone's life better or 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 get them saved or lead them to the Lord and that's just it just makes my life better and I just challenge you out there as a business owner at your job as a husband as a father at just in your community you know lead someone to the Lord be a light that's what we're put here to do give him a big hand God bless you Keith did, did you hear what he said? I don't just go to work to make a dollar. Now, how many know we all need a lot of dollars? If you own a business, you really need a lot of dollars. But we all need a lot of dollars, but that's secondary, come on, to my primary purpose, which is fulfilling God's will for my life, and my business or my school has become my platform to do that. Let me give you one, one more before we close in prayer. Do what you're passionate about with Jesus in mind. Just simply do what you're passionate about with Jesus in mind. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? I'll show you a couple pictures, and I'll explain it. Uh, after church, we're going to go. Hopefully, you're going to stay and join us, but we're going to have some barbecue and hang out with people. And listen, the reason we do this is not because your pastor is an avid car lover. <laughs> pastor Mike's the avid car lover. I, I think Sharon, Sharon, I don't know if she likes cars or not. I know she likes Mike. But... <laughs> I plan my vacation time around turkey hunting and duck hunting and family kind of things. Well, Mike plans his around car shows and stuff, and he likes to tinker with wrenches. And a few years ago, he came up to me and said, Hey, how about if we do a car show in church on Memorial Day weekend? I said, Well, sure. You say, Well, what's the big deal? Now, think about this. All the people that are getting together, and people that are not in church usually, but hanging around with Christians, seeing their normal people, experiencing the presence of God in our service, but they had a service outside at 11.15 for people who didn't want to come inside. And every year, people make a step to Christ. So what am I saying? Your passions, the way God designed you, can become a platform to do good for the world and for the kingdom of God. Let me show you another picture. My wife, Linnell. Now, Linnell loves to travel. Uh, actually, this weekend, she's in Syracuse, New York at a, at a women's conference. But she loves to travel. And you can see she's in a, southern Mexico there. They're making, it looks like... A, uh, tortillas there on an open fire but not only does she like to go down there but she always takes lots of people with her 
And what it's done is it's given our church a, mission, a missions vision. Now, I have one, but not like Linnell does. She has taken dozens of people, scores of people on these trips, and it's infected them so that all of us can get behind the Great Commission when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It creates a missions culture in the church, and some of the biggest special offerings we'll receive is for missionaries. Uh, last year, I think it was, there was a missionary that was here. I didn't even know him. I knew the, uh, a, a, a church member, and they were related to him. And, and this person translated Bibles, and that was their mission. They couldn't even tell you what country they were in because of the danger of their life. We just talked about it. We were able to give them $2,000 to help them do what they're doing. See, why do these things happen? It's because somebody with a passion begins to take their passion and use it for the Lord. Let me show you another picture. Now... Um, I must apologize, I have forgotten the woman's name, but I want you to focus on this little boy. Now, they're in a judge's chambers, and they're adopting this child. Now, this little boy, as you can tell, he's severely handicapped. Special needs doesn't begin to describe what this child has. This child will never play football. This child will never be a baseball star. Uh, this child may not even be able to participate in the Special Olympics. This child will probably be at home with somebody or in some uh, institution the rest of his life. Now, when the world looks at a person like this, the world says, oh, that's a problem. That child is going to cost our society X number of thousands of dollars in the course of life. This is a weight, a drain on society. That child shouldn't be allowed to live, and it's said in quiet. That child should be the, should, uh, an abortion should just remove this level of problem from our culture. Now, I want you to see the smile on this woman's face. You know what she does? Now, 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 how this boy got here, we have a woman in our church. Her name's Anissa. She's a, a single woman, but she has a burden for children, so she's a foster mom. And she always has five or six trailing behind her. But it's funny. She comes in the door of the church, and she gives them all away. And for two hours, I think she goes to Sam's or something. I don't know if she really likes church, but, but, but I'm just teasing. But the social services gave her this child to watch over until they could find something to do with it. And this woman somehow pops up. Let me tell you about this woman. She's trained in the medical field, but her specialty is with not only handicapped children, but it's with the exact issues that this child deals with. She went to school for that. She was trained for it. And when the opportunity came, she said, not only do I want to help the child, I want to adopt it. Now, that would destroy virtually every person in this building, including me. It would, the weight would be too much to bear. But look at the smile on her face. Why is that? It's because that's a calling in her life. It's a calling in her life. It was a passion that sent her to medical school, and she had no idea that she would adopt this child, but God used her life. He took her passion, and he did something good with it. Huh? Let me give you one more picture. I'm talking about using your passions for God. Anybody know who this guy is? See in there, bottom left? It's his family on top. That's Chris Blue. He was the winner of The Voice, the competition. How many saw that on TV? Yeah, my daughter had me watch it too. Did you know he was a Christian worship leader? He is. I believe it's a Methodist church in Knoxville, Tennessee. And you know what he did when he won? One of the first things he did. And what's he saying? Is he saying, look at me? He's not saying this. He's saying, all I am and all I have and all I can do is because of the goodness of God. Now look, I, I couldn't make it on the voice, I don't think. I can't even make it on the platform to sing in the church that I've been the pastor at for a long time. They won't let me truth. I'm confessing my pain. But he has a passion and he has an ability and he used it for God's glory. 
Now, I don't care if you throw a football. I don't care if you catch the biggest bass in the bass tournament. When they say, how did you do it? You can say, well, it was my 200-horsepower Evinrude that got me out to this spot. <laughs> and it was my $4,000 megameter that showed me where that fish was nesting. And I used this specially crafted bait. I even hired and paid extra for it. Or you can say, you know what? God makes really big fish. He just showed me where one was. And I took a worm out of my tackle box and I threw it in his mouth. All right. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close this morning with prayer. I hope you got something out of this today. How do I figure out God's plan for my life? Number one, follow the instruction manual, the Bible. Number two, act on what God reveals, whether it's a word from a person, whether it's a vision, whether it's a dream, whether it's just an unction in your heart from God. Do what comes across your path. Meet needs as you go. See your job or your campus as your primary sphere of influence. And do what you're passionate about with Jesus in mind. And I'll close with this passage. It's simply this statement. Do what the Holy Spirit says. Because some of the pages in your book have a long-term outlook. When God called me as a young man, I was about 22, and I felt the call to ministry. Seminary professor told me, don't come to Bible school first. Go get a business degree. Learn some psychology. Get some counseling. Uh, learn some marketing skills. Then get, your, then get your, your seminary degree. So he laid out a course that was eight years away. But sometimes it doesn't work like that. Sometimes it's just moment by moment. Acts chapter 9, there was a believer named Ananias. He was not a deacon, he was not an elder, he was not an apostle. He was a Christian just like you and I. And the Lord spoke to him in a vision. A vision is, it was just this kind of visual impression. But this was very specific. He said, Ananias, and look at the first word out of his mouth. What does it say? Yes. Yes, Lord. And the Lord said, go over to the house of Judas. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, here's the decision point. <laughs> well, Lord, uh, I've heard many people say terrible things about this man, what he's done to believers in Jerusalem, and I really don't want him hurting me or persecuting me. But the Lord said what? Go. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel. And so Ananias went. Now here's my last point. Just say yes to that nudge of the Lord. I guarantee you when Ananias woke up that morning, he had no idea that he was about to have an influence on, on the person that would become the greatest uh, leader, voice, apostle to the world outside of Jerusalem. It was this man that was persecuting Christians. His name was Saul. Saul was persecuting. Uh, it, it could have cost Ananias something, but how many know if we're truly followers of Jesus, we're already dead. We're living in Christ. So he said, even if it's a risk, I'll go. And he met this man that had been blinded by this light from heaven. And he laid his hands on him, and God miraculously healed his physical body. God touched his heart. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Saul became Paul. And Paul became the apostle to the Gentile world. And Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That was a part of Ananias' plan or purpose. From before he was created, God wrote that day in a book. And he hoped Ananias would say yes. So friends, I'll leave that with you this morning. Lord, help us say yes. Could you just close your eyes a moment? And if you're comfortable, just slip your hands to heaven as an act of surrender, an act of desire for God.
and just say, Lord, I want to say yes to you. I, I want to say yes to the plan that you have for my life. I want to say yes to the purposes of God that were given to me before the world began. They were written in a book. I want to say thank you for creating me the way that I am. I may can improve on some things, but the basic me is a gift from God not to be rejected. And I just simply want to ask you, Holy Spirit, to help me be the person that you've called me to be. Keep your eyes closed just a minute, but if you're here and you say, Pastor, I, 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 you, you, you really got my interest this morning. I, I want to find God's plan for my life and I want to fulfill it, but, but I don't know what it is. I want you to pray for me, Pastor, that God would show me and help me do it. Just slip up your hand right now. You don't have to tell anybody anything, but just slip up your hand to heaven and say, Lord, I'm not really sure what your plan is, but I, I, I want to do it. I want to fulfill it. Now, I want to ask you this question. Eyes still closed. You may say, Pastor, I know what God wants me to do. There's some specific thing the Lord's been talking to me about this morning, but it's, it's, I'm having a hard time with it. And would you pray that God would help me do it? Just slip up your hand for just a moment. So I know what I'm supposed to be doing, but it's hard. That's right. Just reach out to heaven. We're simply a way of saying yes. And that's the heartbeat of this whole church this morning. We want to say yes to God. We want to live our life in such a way where the God who created us, when he looks at us for the first time, says, well done good and faithful servant. Amen. Hey, before we go, they're selling tickets and the barbecue's all right out front there. But I want to close this way for the few that might like to respond. We'd like to offer a personal time of prayer. Maybe something in this message has touched you. Maybe you missed the earlier prayer service. Maybe you're just burdened about something and you want prayer before you go. There'll be men and women here that I believe the Holy Spirit can use to help you in the place of prayer. We'll be honored to pray with you about anything, but the most important thing we'd like to pray about is your relationship with God. And let me illustrate it this way, what it means to be a Christian. My wife uh, is in Syracuse, New York, but she wouldn't have gone anywhere if she'd have just drove, driven to the airport and went inside the, the lobby there in, in, in Texarkana and just sat down in one of those blue chairs at American Airlines. She'd have still been sitting there two days later. She had to get on the airplane. And then the airplane took her where she wants her to go. Now, here's why I say that. To become a Christian, you've got to get out of the seat and start following Jesus. To become a Christian, you've got to receive Him as your Savior and Lord. To become a Christian is more than going to church, but it is believing in Christ that moves you to action. And your action, just like Linnell, got out of her chair, got on the airplane, gave her a ticket, and flew off. Simply, my friends, surrendering your life to Christ, asking for His forgiveness, and committing your life to Him. And if that's you, we'd like to pray for you this morning. Maybe you're here today and you've prayed that prayer before, but you just got off track with God. It's kind of happened that way. But you feel God really calling you back today, and you want to recommit your life to Him and follow His plan for your life. If either of those apply to you, if you're making a commitment of your life to Christ this morning, I'm going to encourage you when they begin to sing, you come and meet us over at the cross, and someone will pray for you there as you make the best decision of your life, committing your life to Christ. Prayer team's coming to the front right now. One last song. They're waiting. They're here for you to pray for you if you need prayer for anything. But most importantly, if you need to make that step to Christ, we'll see you at the cross. I promise you it'll change your life. I love you. Let's sing this last song and we'll dismiss.